Hello and welcome to the Lost Boys Podcast. I'm Tandy, joined by Harlan Fear. Say hi, Harlan. Hi, Harlan. And uh, this week's episode, maybe not as explosive as last week's episode after your uh, you know, enormous win at the Lost Boys Lokana Invitational, but uh, still had a tournament to go to this week, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I went to uh, our wonderful sponsors, uh, Games and Comics Paradise in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, we had 53 competitors nice. for a, what ended up being a 2K prize event. And yeah, everybody I played against was having a ton of fun. It was just a great atmosphere. Um, it was really interesting getting like feedback from my opponents early on in the tournament that mm-hmm. like out of my first four rounds before I started drawing was only one of my opponents actually was a magic player. Everyone else was like new to card games with Lorcana, which was really cool. That's awesome. And, you know, we always love to see new blood jump into the water just to have a little bit better competition, right? Like the the more the merrier. And, uh, you know, we've been so used to having a competitive tournament scene in Magic for, you know, most of my life and uh, trying to cultivate one and create one for Lorcana has been, you know, a little challenging, but it's been a lot of fun. And hearing that actually just really warms my heart. Yeah, it, w- it was super fun. It was awesome. Um, especially with the, like, you know, pre-match while you're shuffling up, you ask, you know, your opponent's name, where are you from? What do you do? How long you've been gaming? Do you play magic? Do you like it? Because Lurkana's new, you know, it's not how long have you been playing Lurkana? And then, yeah, it was, there was definitely some intimidation factor for my opponents when it's like, yeah, I've played magic for 21 years now. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that was, you know, a, definitely a different experience. So it was fun. Well, we had a lot of that, you know, back in the day playing on the SCG tour and stuff for Magic the Gathering where, you know, we'd sit down and our opponents would be like, well, how long have you been playing? I've only been playing since this set and this set came out a year ago. Like, well, I've been playing since before you were born. <laughs> and and yeah, that feels bad or whatever. But, uh, but it also feels good, you know, like you have that uh, – I don't know, shared sense of uh, competition, but you're maybe having different starting points and different experiences along the way. So, I mean, I, I don't know. All walks of life, it's just uh, goes around in circles, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So uh, to kick off the podcast this week, we're going to get an into the nitty gritty from the Games and Comics Paradise tournament, uh, as well as the metagame winners, deck list, and things like that. But before we get started... Uh, Harlan, I, I think it's time to do uh, one of my favorite segments, and that's Ask Harlan Anything. All right. Every week, I'm going to pick a question from uh, various sources of Twitter, uh, YouTube comments, and what. And I'm going to pick my favorite question, and I'm going to ask it to you. And right now, we have a question from uh, C Fusion PM, a.k.a. Matt, and he says, Harlan, what are you planning to build week one after Rise of the Floodborne releases? Are you going to upgrade your existing deck or try something totally different? That is a great question. Um, I'm sure I will probably come back to working on the the Amber Sapphire Ramp deck with new cards. But week one, definitely what I will absolutely be trying is the new six-cost Beast. Uh, we can definitely get that oh, up on yeah. the screen. Beast Relentless, yeah. that thing's a heater. Yeah, four or five quests for two readies whenever an opposing character takes damage. I definitely will be starting with that card because I think that card is incredible. <laughs> and I will definitely be pairing with Steel to start because that's the easiest way to deal 
damage to your opposing characters. Um, namely combo would definitely be beast singing, grab your sword, because it oh, readies immediately. Yeah. No, I love that. Just the uh, sing it, untap it, sing it, untap it. It's, it feels pretty fun. Uh, I like that it can, you know, kind of just run down a bunch of smaller characters with this ability because every time it challenges, you know, like a Simba Protective Cub uh, and, you know, it'll ready itself again once it's dealt damage as long as it still has willpower left. Um, on top of mixing it, obviously, with Steel to do those direct damage effects, uh, how do you feel about uh, maybe pairing it with, say, something like Amber so you can use Rapunzel to heal it like in those in the middle of those chains? Yeah, I think that is definitely somewhere that it will maybe end up um, because, you know, as you know, the the very first thing I like to do when I start building a deck, especially around a powerful card, is just try and break it. Like, just go as hard as you possibly can on the powerful interaction and then see how strong that is. And then, you know, if it's weak to your opponent's interaction or something like that, that's where you dial it back and, you know, try and put more good cards in and like elongate your plan so like i could definitely see down the road moving towards amber to get you know rapunzel in my deck so i have a better long game and stuff like that um but definitely early i'm definitely just going to be slamming grab your sword with that beast yeah i actually uh have a deck built that i I do want to show you that is a steel and emerald beast deck it actually is like very light on cards from emerald and instead is just like playing tons of these new steel cards that are in chapter two and uh you know we'll be hopefully playing uh, some later this evening and then posting it up uh next week on our uh, youtube so make sure to check that out um, so, uh, as far as upgrades for the Amber Sapphire deck from chapter two, is there anything in that, in the new set that stands out to you as like, this should definitely go into my deck? Like, are you interested in maybe the Cogsworth package? Yeah. So Cogsworth is definitely interesting. Um, that's a specific interaction that has not been too big of an issue as you could see from a lot of the coverage of the Invitational. Because you already have high willpower, right? Exactly. So I don't really need the resist spread across my characters. Um, A card that actually I am pretty excited about is the new Cruella, that is just a a two-cost, three-two. I think she has an additional ability where she gains support or evasive. Um, But really just the the two-cost, three-two is such a big upgrade to Philatides for being able to clear Simbas early. Um, so that's a card I'm pretty excited about for the ramp deck. Um, and then there's a, a new removal spell that just got previewed, I think, today. I saw it. I saw yeah, it. Yeah, uh, I, I don't remember the name because I just briefly saw it. But it's uh, three cost. It's a song, so you can sing it. And then it's banish a chosen character with strength five or higher. Yeah, so... Uh... It's actually not even on Dreamborn yet. It's, it's very, very new. Okay. But It's a mystery. Yeah, uh, so, so... Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, okay, I'll say this. Uh, <laughs> in, in Magic, we've we've had cards like this before. Um, the one that pops in my head immediately is Reprisal. Uh, it's a white and one, you know, destroy a creature with power four greater. And it was very common for the, the color white in Magic to be able to destroy things that had high power. It was like, a, you know, the small knight conquering the large dragon or what have you this was very similar and it's a song also so you can actually just sing with like a three cost character to destroy a large character from your opponent for very very cheap um 
The one downside is that it doesn't kill Carefree Surfer because it only has four strength. That could well, be maybe an issue. There's actually a solution to that, Todd. Tell your me about characters it. with support can target your opponent's characters. Don't lie to me. That's not true. That's <laughs> that never come true. up before. I didn't know that. Yep. And now, yeah, you can you can grow their thing and then blast it. Okay, you know I, I like blasting. That's, that sounds yeah. fun. Yeah, so that that's a fun interaction that I could see coming up, especially in the Amber Sapphire deck, where you know I could see going up on more Maximus or maybe actually playing Philatides because there's now that upside of Phil plus this new removal spell. Um, because you know Let It Go is is good and functional. I have, but it. it is. You found it. World's greatest criminal mind, and it's that's a, a song. Great name. Yeah, it's a song, and it costs three. We'll get it on screen. I'm sure you'll see it. Uh, World's Greatest Criminal Mind. Uh, three cost inkable action song from Amber. Does banish chosen character with five strength or more. So, yeah. If you can put some support on your opponent's stuff and blast them, that sounds great. Yeah, and it's inkable. So, you right. know, the downside is not really that high. It's a song, so it's another hit off of Ariel um, to make your aerials better so that you, you know, don't have to hit that feel-bad situation of playing your three-drop that doesn't have the best stats and then just looking at the bottom four cards of your deck of all those sweet cards that you don't get to draw now mm -hmm. but uh all right so uh a lot of new cards coming in in chapter two i think we have a little less than uh, 100 cards previewed thus far and the set is still you know over 100 cards left to be previewed and many of them i think are going to be the inkable kind of generic weaker things but those end up being the building blocks of a lot of decks. And what we've been getting a lot of previews of is these like high variance, high impact characters and, and songs and actions and, and items that aren't inkable and real talk at some point it's going to break. And like, you're not going to be able to play any more uninkables in your deck. And so adding another set with more uninkables doesn't necessarily mean that you change your deck. It just means that, you just change your uninkables out, like which ones you can actually play, and you're just like trying to find better ones. Because as we know from building decks thus far, most most of these strategies, generically speaking, need roughly 44, 45 inkables. Yeah, actually, honestly, the thing that I am most looking forward to is that, you know, we're only one chapter into this game, and these decks are like, a lot of them are pretty well tuned already and you know like my ramp deck has you know mr smee which is definitely a good role player but definitely a filler card that's just there because it's a good stats rate yeah and those types of cards are definitely going to be what is easily re replaced moving forward i think and what's crazy to think about is that we have these decks that are at this point where they look like a typical constructed deck already and then we're doubling the card pool yeah. with one chapter like that's the the mind-blowing part is we're actually it's not just a set is coming out we're doubling the card pool when these decks are already dynamic and there's different archetypes within color pairs it's gonna be crazy yeah i i really like the direction that it's going um i mean we've talked about the unequable balance mechanic in the game quite a bit already but I, I think that it's important to maintain um, like card integrity, for example. like it, It's very difficult to make a card like Goons, a one-cost 2-2 two, two inkable that quests for one, and then just like give it an extra point of willpower. 
and then just call it something else. The moment you do that, you invalidate most of the characters that could be printed as a generic cheap thing. And then so you start to have to look at the other facets that make the card playable. Uh, is it uh, inkable? Is it uh, Dreamborn, Floodborn, and does that matter? And then you have to look at, like, uh, can I shift onto this character? And so, like, the moment you start seeing the connections, the little one-two combos, you add more depth uh, to your strategy. But every time one of those things is uninkable, it's putting more and more stress on how you build your deck and how your deck's going to function as the games go. Yeah, absolutely. I I look so forward to how they, as we get all these characters, how they balance and move the numbers around because of that third stat. Like you and I coming from Magic, you know, there's mana cost, power and toughness, and then the ability. Mm -hmm. But here we have ink cost, willpower and strength, and then we have the lore count on top of the ability. That extra stat being thrown into the mix gives them so much more room to move all these numbers around and just get to these really cool cards and places where they aren't necessarily invalidating something on top of the things like shift and future considerations with the cards. You know, one card that they printed recently was something that I just kind of called shotted a month ago. And that's uh, at what stage do you have to make a character cost two and be able to quest for three? And they answered that and it's an uninkable one, one and it's an amethyst. And so I think that if you put that card into Amber, for example, with Simba Protective Cub as bodyguard and with that color having bodyguard as a, a primary mechanic, I think that the moment you do that, you kind of turn the game on its head the way that, you know, Lilo is better than Maleficent biding her time. Um, you know, a Pinocchio that's in Amber versus a Pinocchio that's in Amethyst is significantly different. And so you have to always take into consideration, like, what can I surround this card with? And the Pinocchio, the two cost questing for three, maybe that's going to be really great. in uh, just like a all in aggressive strategy where you just throw away characters to quest at, at, at will. Um, but the moment you put that type of thing into another color, it changes the dynamic of the games and it's pretty dangerous. And so like, I, where do they go from here? Like, you know, they made a two cost one, one that quests for three. So like, what's next? Is it an O one that quests for four? Is it an, is it like an O three that quests for three, but like your opponent gains a lore when you do it or something like there's a lot of different ways you can move it. Yeah, and there's also other ways to balance it, too. Like you mentioned with, you know, shying away from Amber because of Simba Protective Cub. It's funny that they actually maybe have more space for that in a color like Sapphire, where, you know, if you you printed, say, a two-cost, uninkable zero-one that quests for four, Sapphire has no way to protect that. Right. I mean, they have Cogsworth to give it resist or whatever, but that's not, you know, it. it's really cool that they can just, you know, shift around like that and do different things. And I'm super excited to see more of it in the future. All right. Well, uh, great, great question there from, from our friend. And uh, thank you so much, Harlan, for 
the Ask Harlan Anything segment, and I'm uh, glad to get your insight on Chapter 2 and how to upgrade your decks. Uh, our next segment is going to be another uh, good one. I, I don't know. I, I was going to say it's my favorite, but I already said Ask Harlan Anything is my favorite. But this one is going to be... Uh, this one can be my favorite for you. It's Card of the Week. All right, Harlan, what's your card of the week? So my card of the re- week is actually Stitch Rockstar. Yo, that's my man right there. I know, I know, it's your boy. Uh, it's really funny. Um, so for this, the tournament will be breaking down in depth later. Um, I, you know, I obviously I was just going to play the same deck again. Um, I did think about <laughs> playing uh, Amber Steel. Um, I played a little bit on ladder, and then. You know, I got mushed a couple times and I was like, man, this deck sucks. I'm going to play my sweet deck. And then, you know, I was mushing everybody with that. So, of course, that's what I'm going to play. Right. Right. And um, so Nathan Sawyer, who played in the Invitational, you know, lives like 15 minutes from the store in Fairfax. So, you know, he messaged me and was like, hey, uh, are you going to be coming still? Are you going to play ramp? And I was like, yeah, of course. Uh, He was like, any changes? And I sent him that I was cutting Stitch Rockstar actually. And I was going to play zero because, you know, we were kind of low on it after the event. We were kind of just playing it partly because it was open deck list. And then our opponents would know that we had the potential to shift rock stars on top of our other stitches mm-hmm. to make them additional threats so that they have to remove those before other things. And they added some extra power level to our Hades um, Lord of the Underworlds. And, you know, so Moving forward, you know, I was like, I'm just going to cut these, get some more slots for the cards I do like. And then, you know, I was thinking about it and I was like, "Ah, I'm just going to play like 10 games on ladder with four of them in my deck, you know, and uh, a a game that happened against actually Kurt Spies at the Imitational was that I was on the play and I just went turn one stitch new dog, turn two, one jump ahead, turn three shift Rockstar onto it. And I looked up at him and I said, uh, Who's the rock star deck now, you know? <laughs> and it was really good. Like it it died basically immediately where he traded off his board for it plus played a smash on it. But I had already ramped and I traded, you know, my two cards for his two cards. And he missed his turn three. So that was just a huge advantage for me. And I was like, maybe I should just be doing that more often. And it gives me something to kind of mulligan into, you know, and kind of assemble. And then if it doesn't come together, you know, one jump is just a great card that I always want to play on turn two anyway. And then the other two pieces are inkable. And yeah. That's all she wrote. No, I mean, I, you don't got to sell me on St- Stitch Rockstar. Old new dog, me and him, uh, he was the best man at my wedding. And uh, <laughs> Rockstar was the invited guest to come, you know, play the... Yeah, he was the wedding singer. Right. So uh, I, you know, to to kind of go along with your card of the week, my card of the week is actually something you often find alongside Stitch Rockstar as well, and that's Lantern. And uh, Lantern is my card of the week because specifically uh, one of the decks we're going to be talking about from the GC Paradise Tournament uh, plays four copies, and I think that it is one of the reasons why. Carefree Surfer is as good as it is in Amber. I know that you're playing one jump ahead instead in the Sapphire builds, but when you're not playing Sapphire, Lantern can be your ramp effect for just playing Amber. And Amber is so good at playing really heavy on characters 
that you can utilize Lantern not only to, to ramp out, but you can use it on the turn you play it, so it kind of effectively makes it cost one in a lot of spots. Uh, it's great alongside Stitch New Dog and a Stitch Rockstar. Uh, it's uh, excellent for getting that Carefree Surfer online quickly, and uh, when you're wheeling with you know Whole New World and things like that, I mean, Lantern's just uh, free free resources, and it's just good. I know it's not inkable, but when you're playing for Carefree Surfer, it's easy. Yeah, it doesn't need to be. It, it basically is ink on its own. Um, honestly, I just copied their homework on the four lantern <laughs> into the four rock stars, right? Yeah. That's where I got the idea was, oh, I could just be turn three rock starring two. And sure, I don't have the characters to, you know, take advantage of his ability, but just a, a three, five, three point quester is huge early. And just being able to sing Let It Go on their rock star two is huge. Yeah. Rockstar yeah, Lantern Lantern just does the same thing, um, arguably better. Where you know I have to play one jump ahead because of cards like Bell, um, strange but special. Where you know Lantern, you get to use the the resource generation the turn you play it. So I I would say Lantern actually is a more powerful card than one jump ahead. You know I, they both have their strengths and weaknesses. Obviously, having physical ink matters for Bell Strange with special, and in the future, maybe there will be more cards that uh, have bonuses when you have seven ink or ten ink in the inkwell. Aside from Bell Strange with special, and then cards like Mickey Mouse Detective and One Jump Ahead will be stellar. Uh, they're already pretty good. Obviously, they're kind of like the core concept of Sapphire in general. And now we're just waiting on more payoffs to ramp into is all right. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's card of the week. Lantern and uh, Rocks, or Stitch Rockstar, uh, two cards that uh, have more than helped define Chapter 1 Constructed. Uh, I believe next week we'll be uh, doing card of the weeks mostly on new cards, and uh, we're going to be playing with some of those new cards coming up in some Lost Boys Versus uh, next week, and uh, hopefully some of those new cards will stand out and shine through. But uh, for now, the tournament that we have been alluding to for the first half of the podcast today is the Games and Comics Paradise 2K Open. And you were there, Harlan. Why don't you give us a rundown of uh, your experience, and I'll just chime in when I can. Yeah, absolutely. So it was 53 people, which was awesome, especially for a Sunday versus a Saturday. That is just massive. Um, They're definitely going to be running more of these events. So if you aren't following GNC Paradise on Twitter, definitely do that. You can follow us on Twitter, too, at Lost Boys LOR. We'll always be, you know, broadcasting for them and blasting the events. I'll probably just about always be at another one of these. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was just an awesome turnout. Uh, It was a very smoothly run event. Um, We had a magic judge running the like the melee software for us and they were awesome. I actually pulled the judge aside to commend him on Aww. just how amazing he actually was. I told him he gave the best players meeting of any players meeting I've ever been to. And I've been to maybe a thousand. It's definitely in the high thousand. I mean, think about how many tournaments you've played in. Look, I actually checked the ELO project for the SEG tour. Someone has a Patreon where they do that. And I have like far and away the most matches played out of anyone on the SCG tour. And my match count is like 1400 or something. And, and like 
That means my match count being 1,400 means that I've been to, what, 110 round events or whatever? 114 rounds. Mm, oh, so I guess yeah. two, 207 rounders or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So even still, that's only 200 player meetings, you know? Like, yeah, I, I think you're true. maybe exaggerating a little, but yeah, yeah. the so point Probably stands. not 1,000, but a few hundred at least. And yeah, I, it was awesome. Uh, the store was really great. Um, the players were all really nice. Um, I think that is maybe having to do with Lorcana. Um, it definitely felt even more inviting than a magic tournament usually does. That's it was cool. also cool seeing a lot of people I know from that area that do play magic that have also made the jump to Lorcana. And, uh, a couple of additional ringers from the invitational came out to, to battle. Also, I already mentioned before that Nathan Stoyer came out to play. The um, former but, world champion of Magic the Gathering, Nathan Stoyer, 2022 world champion. His yep. uh, his actually his, uh, invitational card is going to be coming out soon, I think, his custom card. Yeah, that'll be sweet. And then uh, also we had Kurt Spies in attendance. Yeah, Kurt um, Kurt made top eight of the Lost Boys Lorcan Invitational as well with Amber Steel Stitch Blitz. And uh, his deck actually is the one I was talking about. Those playing four copies of Lantern. Yep, absolutely. Kurt is... An incredible deck builder um, from Magic, Lurkana, um, some Dragon Ball Z card games, mm -hmm. uh, Pokemon, just a crazy well-rounded gamer. And he has come to play in Lurkana. He's not messing around. And he ended up taking down the tournament. Um, we should be able to get his list up on the screen. He has the four Lanterns, uh, four Rockstars, um, tons of Whole New World action. And he plays his deck less like an aggressive deck and way more like a combo deck of amber steel right the um, uh you'll notice go ahead uh yeah i was just gonna say the the combo aspect that you're talking about you know it's basically just emptying your hand as quickly as possible using aerial spectacular singer to play a whole new world to refresh um if you're able to you know get your whole hand out before your opponent's able to get a few cards out you're just generating a huge burst of resources while they're discarding four or five cards. Yeah, exactly. He also, you know, as having four lanterns, doesn't have the uninkable count to also have Lilo right. making a wish. And so there's no Lilos, so that aggressive draw is really diminished, but it's made up for by being able to, you know, lantern into Rockstar on three, which is... It puts you wildly ahead. I can't imagine you lose very many games where you put a Rockstar in on three. And then he has uh, cards like uh, Simba, Future King. Is that the one drop? Yeah, Future um, King they, is the looter. Yep. Yeah, it comes into play in loots. But with Rockstar, you effectively get to draw two and discard one mm -hmm. with it, which really lets you churn through your deck, assemble, you know, an important combo, which is typically against especially decks like my ramp deck where you double grab your sword in a turn it helps you piece those together get rid of those whole new worlds that may or may not be good find them if they are good and yeah it it feels like a well-oiled mas machine when it's working and it's really impressive yeah i i think that um you know amber steel stitch blitz is my pick for like best deck from chapter one constructed but I don't know the optimal build, and I think that the optimal build is flexible within a given metagame, but it's very clear that Kurt you know, has tested a lot and figured something out that maybe I don't know. 
And the Simba Future Kings, for me, when I was doing a lot of my early testing, I ended up dismissing it because whenever I would start doing my big chain turns, I wanted my characters to have some amount of staying power so that if my opponents were challenging them, they were operating almost as a full card. Whereas uh, the characters like Future King, while they loot and they can loot away some of these, you know, uninkable, expensive things, um, and they can quest for one, when you're playing them off of Stitch Rockstar, yes, they look great, but you know, they don't have substance. And so I wrote them off early, but I also didn't realize how much that that aspect didn't matter when you're doing Rockstar stuff. And there's obviously some give and take, but uh, watching him play with the, the Simba Future Kings with Rockstar active just really showcased how he was able to easily churn through to find more triggers for the Stitch Rockstar, whereas my builds would often draw one or two cards and get stuck from having those big uninkables, like the eight uh, songs that cost five from from Steel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would be surprised if Simba Future King wasn't his most inked card also, but it is sure. also the card that stands out to me the most about how his deck is constructed where in those games, once you Rockstar, it's just the best card you can find, basically. And yeah. it is, it's just incredible, the difference in the two. And I think that's what's so brilliant about the way he built his deck, is that he identified that, yeah, this card is really mopey on its own, and I really don't want to play it very often, but, you know, it's ink, and I need to ink something pretty much every turn. And then this is also the best thing I can be doing with my Rockstars. No, great points. And, um, you know, I feel foolish for having missed it before the event, but uh, Kurt showed up to the Lost Boys Wakanda Invitational playing very close to the same 60 and uh, made top eight there. And, you know, this like slightly more tuned version uh, ended up winning the uh, Games and Comics Paradise event. And uh, not surprising considering the caliber of player and how the how well he played the deck at the event itself. Yep. Uh, we did kind of blow into, you know, Kurt winning the event. Um, there were additional decks, obviously, in the top eight. Look, so there was just because we go over the winner deck first doesn't mean we can't <laughs> talk about the other ones. Look, card of the week, you know, Lantern yep. for me. He had four Lantern with those Carefree Surfers, turn three Rockstar all over the place, making great use of the Simbas, not only to, to just like have more explosive starts with the early Rockstars, but also... Um, just more things to play off Lantern if you just really need to churn. And so, I don't know. I, I, I want to give a big shout-out to Kurt, and uh, we can talk about the other decks, but I, I wanted to get that one out of the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we we did have Kurt on the Lantern build of Amber Steel songs, and then we had, I believe, three other Amber Steels or two other Amber Steels that were the more aggressive builds. And then we had an a Emerald Amethyst aggro deck, an Emerald Amber aggro deck that mushed me in top eight. Uh, me and Nathan playing Amber Sapphire Ramp. And then we also had an Amber, Amber Sapphire mid-range deck that was not, you know, the Ramp plan. They were playing the Simba Protective Cubs and the Maximuses and, you know, kind of playing a more mid-game focused game, but still having those Carefree Surfers and Hades uh, yeah. Cunning Schemers to get over the top. No, I mean, that, that sounds cool. Um, you know, it seems like a pretty healthy metagame, but it seems like Amber is just the, the color that most people want to play. Um, specifically, you said it was Amber Emerald that gave you trouble? 
Yeah, so I that's what I played against in top eight. Um, I didn't know what they were playing when we started our match. Um, I did kind of, as we talked about in our last episode, how, you know, Dawn was mulliganing when she played her aggressive deck. Mm -hmm. I was really, but I knew my opponent was playing an aggro deck. I didn't know it was specifically Amber Emerald. So I was kind of tunneling pretty hard on assembling my uh, Rockstar, like early Rockstar plan. And game one, you know, I kind of got punished for mulliganing like five cards. And I drew two of my seven drop Hades really early. And I missed my fifth ink. Wow. And that's just, brutal. I felt dead. And then I drew a third one <laughs> and I did die. <laughs> and then the second game, I did manage to turn three Rockstar on the play. But the same thing happened where I had to skip my sixth ink drop to play a Maleficent uninvited. With two Hades in my hand is my only cards. And it felt not good, I have to tell you. Um, it that, was, that was kind, kind of a disaster. Of, that was kind of my experience. Uh, whenever decklists were available for the Lost Boys Invitational, um, y'all three playing the same deck had me and uh, my man Frank Carson curious. And so we, <laughs> we played your deck a bit on ladder and... I kept having like two or three Hades in my hands after I mulligan and like uh, just having a, a reasonable amount of uninkables. So like it, it warms my heart that you also have trouble with that sometimes. And uh, and maybe there's hope for us all. <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually think it was a part of my an issue with my plan fundamentally going into that, those games where I was mulliganing so aggressively, where at the Invitational, you know, I would kind of determine a plan with my opening seven and then mulliganing ac mulligan accordingly to that plan versus deciding a plan and then mulliganing to try and hit that plan regardless of what my initial seven looked like. And that's where I was getting burned. So I think different archetypes have to do that differently. And that was actually something I learned from this event. Unfortunately, I learned it in the elimination rounds instead of the Swiss where I didn't even lose a game. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're so, yeah, humble you're brags, so humble brags. dreamy. You're so dreamy. <laughs> uh, so speaking of this Amber Emerald deck, uh, I, let's get it on the screen. Uh, this comes from Calvin Harrigal. I believe that's the name. It's hard to see sideways and uh, with natural handwriting. But uh, this is a, a, you know, the Amber Emerald aggro deck that we were talking about. Um, the one thing that I, I want to point out is that it's making great use of like Lilo making a wish with the uh, Simba Protective Cub package, like your normal aggressive Amber decks. And I think that leans very well, especially with Bodyguard, into uh, playing some of those maybe weaker on stats, uh, Emerald characters like Flynn Rider, the two-drop Charming Rogue, and it makes it so uh, you actually just get to quest more aggressively in the early turns, and then when your opponent finally breaks through the Simba, then they still have the extra punish on top of having to make you discard, or, uh, you know, like with Cusco or Mad Hatter, having that extra layer of protection. Yeah, my opponent actually even told me that he expected my deck to really tick up in popularity, which definitely happened at the event. And that, you know, he was just coming just to mush me <laughs> and he did. Exactly oh yes. That. He just ran me over. Called shot. Uh, yep. So the rest of the deck, uh, we'll go over a little bit. I sent it to you in the discord so you can take a peek at the physical list. Um, 
The one card that always stands out to me as being relatively weak uh, is Cheshire Cat Not All There. Uh, this is, you know, a three-cost inkable. It's it's great on that metric, right? But, it, you know, it quests for two, and then if your opponent challenges it and banishes it in combat, that character is banished as well. And what this does, it takes something down with it. You know, it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, a sinking, like a crocodile will pull you underwater uh, as, you know, as you come after him or whatever, right? And um, the problem, though, is that your opponent gets to choose which of their characters gets thrown under the bus and the reward is just like not good enough. You know, the body's not that big, the, the willpower is not that big and there's no strength. And so you can't challenge your opponent's stuff. I would rather just play like a Mickey mouse best friend or whatever. The, the, the Amber thing that quests for two, that's a three cost three, three. And I'm sure that we're going to have much stronger things to put in these slots whenever we get a set or two more in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Cheshire Cat is a card that doesn't pivot well at all, right? You can't play defense with it in the slightest. It has right. zero uh, strength. So it can't challenge your opponent's characters well at all. Um, and I think it is maybe a holdup from previous iterations of these decks mm. where Maui was way more popular and present. And Cheshire Cat lines up really well against Maui, where the Maui's just going to have to trade with this three drop, which is actually really powerful. But right now, with how the metagame is, I'm thrilled when I see a Cheshire Cat because I can, you know, send my Mr. Smee at it and then also my my Mickey detective. And then I only lost a Mickey detective. Right. No, that's a great point. Um, yeah, just being able to pick and choose the fact that uh, so Cheshire Cat has a, a very similar punish as Cusco Temperamental Emperor, where your opponent just chooses essentially the last character that they send into it uh, is like a death march, right? And so you can choose to have, you know, your bigger characters do most of the damage and then have your throwaway Mickey detectives, your Grandma Talas, your Stitch new dogs if you don't have Rockstar at the ready, stuff like that. And, uh, and so I just don't like giving my opponent that much control over my side of the board but i know that emerald decks are often often very successful and it's specifically because of the high lore generators like cheshire cat and so maybe there's just you know something to be said about playing lefou bumbler and flynn rider charming rogue and cheshire cat and all these just like really really weak characters on rate but they just quest for a lot and if you're just mixing that in with New dog rockstar kind of combo mid rangey stuff while also having protective cub, Simba protective cub to bodyguard in there. You know, maybe this is the future of, of the aggro decks. You know, adding Leela making a wish to the emerald package. It's kind of scary, man. Yeah, I actually, something I just was reminded of um, while we were talking about that was actually a, something I didn't even pick up on necessarily in our game. Uh, in the top eight was that a point for Cheshire cat was I had a Maleficent uninvited that if it had been a Cusco, you know, I could just challenge the Cusco and then throw my Mickey detective into it. But because that Cheshire cat only had three willpower, I would have to trade my Maleficent uninvited with the Cheshire cat, which was a big deal. But if it had been a Mickey instead, I could just eat the Mickey with my Maleficent and then my Rapunzel would have been on. Right, And I would have actually probably been in a really good spot where Cheshire Cat having zero strength 
in some sense might be actually a benefit against Rapunzel decks. No, for sure. And I mean, you know, there's all sorts of cool breakpoints for willpower uh, with a lot of these cards where the, you know, the difference between two willpower and three willpower is an ocean. And then the difference between three willpower and four willpower is sometimes, you know, uh, do or die. And there's just no real value you can put on the difference between a number and a slightly higher number other than whatever context that the game gives you based on the matchup, your opponent's draws, the cards they're playing, and how you're defending against them, right? And, like, at a, at some point, the game will hinge on one point of willpower one way or another regularly. And so, you know, the higher your things like Cheshire Cat's willpower are, sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. Like, in that situation, if it was an 0-4, it would be worse uh, because of how it lines up specifically specifically against your 5-drop. So a lot to, to consider there. Um, uh, other than, uh, you know, this uh, Amber and Emerald deck that mushed you, though, was there any other decks uh, in the top 8 that you wanted to discuss? I know Nathan Sawyer played a very similar, if not identical deck to yours, right? Yeah, I think he was uh, one card different. He had um, he didn't have a fourth rock star, so he played an extra. You have forgotten me, I believe. Um, but yeah, we had a pretty similar day. Um, Nathan actually lost two uh, mirror matches. He lost a ramp twice. Oh wow! Amber Sapphire twice. Mm-hmm. Those were his two losses on the day. I lost to the aggro deck. Um, there was a, a huge. Um, representation of pretty much everything at the event we saw you know amber and amber sapphire and amber steel really rise to the top with a couple of aggro decks but you know i played against five different decks in my five matches that i played that's awesome yeah that was really cool to see um a lot of innovative takes and it was also really cool to see that the people i played against they had a plan when they were playing their deck you know, they weren't just showing up and saying, oh, yeah, I really like these colors and this is what I had and this is what I'm playing. They were like, no, I wanted to play against Amber Steel with this deck because of this reason and this reason. And that gives me an advantage in all of these situations. And that was really awesome to see. So it sounds like we're already entering into advanced player territory in these smaller events uh, and uh it's going to make for some some fun games of Lorcana, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really cool meeting everybody. It was also interesting to me seeing you know three people from the Imitational played in this 53 person event and all three of us made it into top 8. Um Kurt actually didn't lose, but he had two unintentional draws. Um he won his other four. Yeah, he uh, a lot of his games, especially the way he plays his deck, where you know it's more combo focused, there's less pressure, so the games do tend to go a little bit longer. Especially, you know, if you're going to a game three, it's pretty easy to run out of time. Um, but between the three of us, we only lost one match in the Swiss, and you know we come from a game like Magic that is the the better players usually do well, right? It's not guaranteed, and it's a pretty high-variance game overall. But with Lorcana, from what I've seen, it feels a lot lower variance than a game like Magic, and I think it's all tied to the the ink system versus, you know, missing your land drops in Magic. 
I agree. I mean, the one of the most fun, but also the most annoying things about magic is drawing too many lands, not drawing enough lands, and then your game is, you know, at some point you just run out of steam or you don't have enough in the first place. And the way Lorcana is built from the ground up is that most of your cards, at least in the first chapter, are inkable, so they count as resources. And so every single game, if you want to, you can go one drop, two drop, three drop, four drop. And then after that, it starts to get a little ticky-tacky, where you have to like choose between inking an extra thing, trying to play two cards in the same turn, and... Or just like curving naturally up to five and six. And so when you go up to five, six, seven, and you're curving the, the whole way, you'll naturally run out of cards. You'll you'll just run out of runway on the fifth or sixth turn. And that's why cards like Friends on the Other Side can be so beneficial and why Amethyst is one of the stronger colors because it just has a lot of natural card drop. But also it's uh, one of the reasons why you see the aggressive decks have big refuel cards because without those big refuel cards, as the game escalates into those six, seven, eight, ninth turns, you don't have anything to do. And Stitch Rockstar, Whole New World, these were cards that I immediately identified as not only means of refreshing yourself, but also for just like pushing through tons of interaction from Ruby Amethyst and opposing steel decks. Uh, but they obviously come with downsides. Shifting puts you at a two-for-one disadvantage against spot removal sometimes, and whole new world can backfire. And so you have to just walk the razor's edge. And uh, you know, I think that uh, Kurt's build is very cool for doing that with the four copies of uh, Simba, uh, Future King. But without Lila making a wish, he actually has difficult closing games. And physically closing the games means you're going to lead you know, lead to a bunch of unintentional draws. At some point, I want to try tournaments that have best of one, and we'll play, like, best of one with plus two rounds on the end of it, so we just get more physical games played. I think draws are really bad for this early, and I'm hoping that the boost in strength from Chapter 2 alleviates these issues completely and decks just win more quickly. But with new cards comes maybe more complexity, which means that like maybe games take longer because players jockey for position more often in the early turns. Just I don't know. Yeah, I, I definitely have noticed that the the people who run out of time, with some exceptions, you know, like I don't I don't think Kurt's taking too long on his turn. He played fast like when I was watching exactly. him play. I, I think a lot of it comes from inexperience with the cards. And as you get later in the event, the draws kind of fall off as people even get more experienced throughout the day. You know, a lot of the draws were early in the event versus later. And I think as I think new cards definitely might help that, you know, that that additional power level, the games will get closed a little quicker. But I think as people play more and get more comfortable and more used to making these decisions that inherently we the games will go quicker as a result and i i i really think that we can have matches conclude in 50 minutes pretty easily with this game because there is no shuffling i am not sold depending on the deck you're playing i think that uh especially you know, if if you go play on Pixaborn, you're going to probably play someone who has a lot of reps and you're going to play 
a game in under 15 minutes pretty regularly. And Mm -hmm. that's great. Uh, But when you get to live play, the pace of play just grinds to a halt from from, uh, most players. And I think that even the fastest players, though, will have trouble finishing some matches. And by even while playing as fast as humanly possible because of just the nature of the game, like you're never running out of stuff to do in some matchups. Your deck is built in such a way where you can protect yourself from multiple pressure points with be prepared, Maui, uh, monstrous dragon, you know, these things that um, slow your opponent down, take the wind out of their sails. And so, you know, I, I watched too many Ruby amethyst mirrors come down to decking to, to say that I think that 50 minutes is enough to finish a, finish a match. And if your argument is don't play that deck, that's not their fault. That's a fault of the engine. There is no mechanism that pushes the player towards finishing the match. And if it's advantageous long-term to win a game by jockeying for position instead of questing, that's what you're going to do. And at the Invitational, there was a huge shift uh, over the course of just the first day, watching players who ended up making it to this, like top four finals. Those players would stop questing when it was ever dangerous. And then that would just naturally make the games go an extra five or ten minutes, sometimes even longer. And when you play best of three, that's just an extra 15 minutes added to every match. That's too much. Like, the games are just too long, and I think best of one might be the solve. That's all. Yeah, potentially. Um, I'm definitely down to continue having the conversation, especially as we get new cards, and we can always revisit this. You know, um, maybe we could even have this be a weekly segment. <laughs> oh, yeah. The the Tandy says best of one's the best. The yeah, best, of best of one. Best of one versus best of three. Let us know at home. Yeah. You know, throw uh, some comments down in, on the YouTube and let us know what you think. If you actually would want to be playing best of one tournaments or if you want to stick to best of three, definitely let us know. Yeah, please do. Uh, this is we're all we're in our infancy in terms of running events and figuring out the best way to do things. And I don't think that we necessarily need to mimic other games. We can just do what, yeah. what's best for this game and this engine. But like I said, the next set is going to juice some stuff and we might have games be done in five or 10 minutes pretty regularly when the cards are just stronger. Like for example, the Pinocchio we were talking about earlier, the quest for three, that one's that that's just pretty scary. You know, if you don't have a way to challenge it early, like that thing might just run away the game with a simple protective cub in front of it, man. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I can be left alone in a room with Taryn Huck after. <laughs> oh, he's going to. Oh, man. OK, uh, so the Games and Comics Paradise Tournament, 53 players won by Kurt Spy- Spies playing uh, Ember Steel Stitch Blitz, uh, very similar to the list he played at the Lost Boys Lacan Invitational. Harlan Fear top aided along with Nathan Stoyer. Uh, congratulations to everyone who did well in that event. Shout out to my boy and car mate, John Rummel. John also Rummel? made top eight. Nice. Congrats yep. to him. Playing uh, Amber Steel. And uh, once again, I'd like to just say thank you to Games and Comics Paradise. Uh, they're a store out of Fairfax, Virginia. That's where this most recent event was held at their home store. And uh, thank you so much to them for sponsoring us. Make sure to check out GCParadise.com for all of your TCG needs, uh, whether it's singles, accessories, 
from uh, Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon, and now Disney's Lorcana. Uh, GCPerodice.com is your one-stop shop. Uh, Harlan, that's all I really got for this week, man. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I was very excited to to hear about your your tournament experience this week, and I'm so glad you had fun. Yeah, it was. Again, I can't sing high enough praises. It was a blast. It was so much fun meeting everybody and getting to play Lorcana with a bunch of people. You know, the the closed tournaments are also fun because it's really intimate setting, and you know, everybody has their absolute a game on. But it's also just fun to be in a a big open field and just be able to bird a bunch of different matches and, you know, root from your root for your friends a little bit harder because they're not your immediate competition. (laughs) You know, there's something really special about paper gaming. And if you've ever been to Gen Con or a board game convention of any kind or even just been over to your friend's house on a, a rainy Sunday and just sat around for a few hours playing Ascension or Settlers of Catan, or God forbid you play uh, Talisman, the game that ruined uh, many a friendship of mine. <laughs> Live gaming is is fun because of the people. And when you get to go to an event with your friends and play against them even in top eight sometimes or playing four things that really matter, uh, it just feels different than sitting in your house and playing against an unknown opponent on the other side of a computer screen. And I'm so glad that you got to experience that. And I can't wait to do more of that myself. Yeah, definitely look forward to more of it. I know that uh, Games and Comics Paradise will definitely be doing more. They had an awesome turnout, especially for the first one. It was a Sunday. I can't wait to see what they can do on the next one and maybe have it on a Saturday, see what attendance can be like, you know. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of the Lost Boys podcast. Uh, Make sure to uh, follow us on our social media. We are Lost Boys LOR on Twitter, Patreon, uh, YouTube, and uh, that's about it, I, I think. Uh, make sure if you have any questions for Harlan for next week's Ask Harlan Anything, make sure to post them down in the comments below. Uh, show us what decks from Chapter 2 you're working on. We'd love to see some brews, and maybe if we like your brews, we will play them in an, uh, one of our next few episodes of Lost Boys Versus. Uh, I'm Tandy, and uh, that's Harlan, and we're the Lost Boys. Say bye, Harlan. Bye, Harlan. <laughs>